That's great. Yeah, that, that's what we were looking for. Hey. All right, we're synced up. We're hey. synced up. Hey. Welcome to the first episode of Bookstabber, Willow. Uh, it's so great to be here. I'm Willow Payne. And I'm uh, Gene Ambon. And together we currently Gene. also make uh, Library Comic together. Yes. Writer and co-writer artist on Library Comic. That's correct. Uh, Gene, this podcast, this Bookstabber podcast, what is it about? <laughs> well, we were just talking about that, Willow. Uh, so... Uh, what a coincidence it, it is it is a coincidence so um willow and i talk every week uh usually about comics for a while and uh after she's done making my words much better than they usually would be uh we we usually just talk about movies and books and whatever we've been doing for the week and the best days are the days when willow will rant against something i love <laughs> uh, it, it, it's always glorious and sometimes she doesn't quite Start on her own. So I will say, Willow, I just need to hear a rant right now. I need to laugh a little bit. I've had a very bad week. And Willow will launch into a rant against something. And it's always something I really, really enjoyed. <laughs> I should say that in, in some ways, Gene is kind of sadistic because you you really try to get me angry sometimes. I think sometimes you go watch bad movies just to tell me that you love them because you want to hear my rage about it. Yeah, but that's so not true. That's so not true. It's 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 just me. And 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 I mean, you're not the only person who will launch into a rage at me, but you are you are the most amusing person <laughs> who launches into a rage at rage at me. And well, and I should say that my rage is never directed at you, Gene. It is at the at the media. So I am famous amongst my friends. People say that Willow hates everything, which is not true. I love many things, but the many things that I love are not the things that get talked about on the media, you know. Oh, no, no, v- when, when very clearly. Talk about... you, you come at things from your own angle, right. and, 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 um, and I never feel attacked. I, I never feel attacked. But sometimes I, I leap to the defense of something I really, really liked, um, which is a very different thing than feeling personally attacked. Uh, so we decided we would try to talk about books, since that's what library comic is more about than anything else, instead of movies or what have you. Although that will probably, movies will probably come up here. And I expect some very, very, like spur-of-the-moment rants from you occasionally from this um oh there's there's gonna be tangents absolutely well and um, and so so uh we're gonna get ideas from other people about books we should both read um i think i read much more broadly than you in general and i enjoy a much broader of array course. of books um i mean i read a lot of comics but i read a lot of other things as well and so for the first episode uh like like i think what's weird is you and i have we have a lot of crossover reading we have a lot of there's a lot of books we both really liked uh, yeah. and, and so your favorite books, I'm trying to remember, uh, American Gods. Uh, yeah, I'm in love with basically everything Neil Gaiman has ever written. He's my favorite author. Uh, Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That was that was my favorite before I found Neil Gaiman. Okay. And then there was sort of a contentious period where they both held number one spot. And, and what else did you like? There was something else that was on that list. Um, oh, sure. Uh, you know, growing up, I was huge into uh, the His Dark Materials books by Philip Pullman. Uh, I'm still into them, but I don't get to talk about them as much. Uh, and uh, the Lemony Snicket books. I'm oh, Lemony Snicket books. That's right. Yeah, those are your favorites. Right. Yeah. I, I think what's funny is uh, I, I tend to not talk about things that I don't like. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that you think really deeply about things that you don't like. Like you think you think so <laughs> long and deeply, and they just they rattle around in your head until they come out as these marvelous rants. So so. So, uh, right. so what better book to discuss to start with than, than my favorite book in the world, which um, is uh, A Wizard of Earthsea. Right. And, and I didn't realize until before we started recording that this was your favorite book of all time. Um, yeah, like two minutes ago. Which, <laughs> which I find... I, now, here's the thing. I will just say it off the bat. I liked this book a lot. I really did. That's shocking to me. Uh, shocking but, to me. 
But now I find it really interesting that you would offer up your most favorite book of all time. This, this, you would offer up this sacred calf for slaughter. Well, I, but I don't think of it as offering up a sacred calf for slaughter because there's nothing you could say about this book that would make me love it less. Like, like it, it is, it, it is pure comfort food for me. It is like um, when the world turned to, to absolute crap last year, um, it's the book I reread. You know, I reread a couple of books in the series, and um, but I always start with the first one for some reason. And um, I just, I enjoy it, I think, more every time I read it. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, why not? Why not hear what you, okay, yeah. like your rant about it? So, and for me, like, like, right. like as a librarian and you as a fantasy reader, like knowing you as a fantasy reader, I was mm-hmm. shocked that you had never read this book before. So... It's yeah, it's been on my list for a long time. And uh, we're listing the books that I'm into. I should say I do read more fantasy literature, although I struggle to use the word literature <laughs> than probably anything else. Right. I read uh, my bookshelves at, uh, are full of schlocky uh, fantasy Dungeons and Dragons paperback novels. Right. Um, I love them. I absolutely love them. And I love them because they are a comfort food, because there's so many books that spend so much time just like, you know, this person was standing in the rain, staring at nothing, thinking about his thoughts. Uh, and I'm just like, OK, cool. What does anything happen after 50 pages? No, then I'm moving on. And, and, you, you, and I you, really appreciate books that get to the point. You, you will put books down that you don't like, right? Oh, absolutely. I don't think life is long enough to read bad books. That's my motto. And I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But 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 I'm always I'm shocked that you can work up a very informed rant about things you don't like because I tend to just forget them. Like like I forget books I like. You know, let alone the books I didn't right. like. I have a terrible memory except for when it comes to media, like books and movies. Even if I despised it, I can remember so much of it. Um, and I'm realizing recently that this is not something other people do. I. I am only, I have a photographic memory, memory only in application to books, movies, media. Well, and, and you're young and I am, I am aging. So there's that. Maybe, well, maybe you'll, maybe you'll come around to, to this point uh, 20 or 30 years from now. We'll see. I, I mean, I know, I know people 10 years my senior who absolutely do not remember bad movies or even movies that they really like uh, for that matter. <laughs> well, well so. give me, give me your thoughts on A Wizard of Earthsea. I don't know how to start. Should we start with a little summary of the book? Right. Uh, I wanted to ask, what is our spoiler warning? Uh, are, are we going to just spoil it? Oh, I, you know, I, I feel like we kind of got yeah, it. Yeah, I think, I think there's uh, there's no way around spoilers. So I think, yeah, if you have not read A Wizard right. of Earthsea, maybe turn the book, turn the podcast off now and go read it. Um, like, like briefly, though. It's pretty short. Briefly, my, my book talk for this would be, it's the story of um, a wizard named Ged who comes from a very, very, uh, but he's known as Sparrowhawk. And he comes from a very kind of rural town. Um, where because he has power, yeah. he's kind of sent off um, with the the main wizard on that island. This powerful man, very quiet, tries to teach him how to be quiet, how to listen to the world, how to find his power by by being that kind of person. Um, but Ged wants to go to the wizarding school instead. He wants to go to the island mm-hmm. where Island of the Wise, Roke Island, uh, where there's a school, and uh, that's his choice. And so his master sends him off on his way, and he goes there. And um, he's very prideful and feels very kind of set upon by another student in particular um, who keeps kind of picking at him. Although it seems to be kind of in good fun and not, not terribly uh, abusive or bullying behavior. But it, but it, it wears on, on Sparrowhawk a bit. And um, in an effort to show how powerful he is, like everybody knows how good he is. He, it's clear that he is probably the best student there. 
but in an, right. in an effort to show how good he is, he does something terrible, and uh, he sets something loose in the world, and basically he has to spend what is what feels to him like it's going to be the rest of his life dealing with that problem mm-hmm. uh, and trying to resolve it. And um, at the heart of the book is uh, kind of the nature of magic, which is all about uh, speaking a language that's that's the true language, the language of of the names of things uh, in the world. And the setting is this marvelous place called Earthsea, which is just this archipelago of islands um, where there are dragons and there's kind of different kinds of magic as well that are hinted at in this book. But but mostly it's the magic of of men that's that's at the heart of the book, even though you can see there's like there's magic that's known to women and there's other magic of, of kind of place. And there are dragons who speak the, the true speech. Uh, this 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 focus is mostly on the magic of men, which may not be the best kind of magic for the world, which kind of comes out in in later books. Um, but but th- that's that's the heart of the book, and it, it, and you can find it at your local library. <laughs> Don't take my word for it. <laughs> you, no, you never say that. You never say that. You, what, what you what you say is what you say is uh, at that point you say uh, is, we don't have many copies of this. So if this sounds good to you at all, you better come in and get one tonight because because they they go fast. <laughs> they go fast. This fifty year old book is going. Fast. Oh, you never say it's fifty years old either. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, we're I, we're not making a kickback. We don't make money off of this. Book. <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. Um, but however, I will say that I ever if you love Harry Potter, uh, stop buying it and buy this book instead. Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right, that's 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 high praise, but maybe that's hyperbole for you. So, so, so. Well, no, I'm saying I'm asking everyone to please stop uh, buying copies of Harry. Oh, Potter. because J.K. Rowling is is has turned into an a hole. Right. Yeah. No. Fair enough. Right. Fair enough. Um, and Legin never did. It's very important to remember that she she was a wonderful woman. Well, you know that's something I really want to talk about, and maybe we'll talk about it later in the show. But uh, I have this isn't my first encounter with Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, but it, it it's weird that it took me this long in my life to read her sort of seminal work, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, she's an incredible feminist, and she has a lot of really great essays on the subject. Uh, and so it was interesting coming to this, how I, I feel as if it's interesting that there is this, it, it's not subtle, I would say, there's sort of this, uh, the in the world of Earthsea, there is misogyny, right? Sure, absolutely, yeah. And, like, I know Ursula Le Guin is a feminist, um, but, like, it's it's weird reading a book, especially because this book uh, is was, at the time that it was published, uh, young adult fiction, right? It was intended for teenagers. It, it was, and it's still largely marketed like that, yeah. Right. And so it seems weird to me that you would write that. Uh, like, part of it is, like, well, it's a kind of verisimilitude. Is, well, why wouldn't uh, misogyny exist in this world? Right. And and as the books go on, you know, I know the the protagonist of the second book though i haven't read it is is a woman right uh a young girl correct correct and and she and she and she she stays throughout the rest of the series as well and it becomes it becomes something very different like like um she didn't i I can't remember how much later she added on like like the third book is more like this one it's more of a quest novel the second book is completely Mm -hmm. a departure and although it is still a quest novel but uh, with a different different main character and uh, Sparrowhawk doesn't really appear for most of it. But then the fo- the right. fourth, fifth, and sixth books are something very different. And um, I I feel like having read this now, I need to go reread like um, the maybe the fourth, fifth, and sixth. I think the fifth is uh, a, it's like short stories, and then the sixth is a no- the the fourth and sixth are novels. This is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it. So I can't reread books. I or I can't. Um, 
I'm always fascinated by people who are able to, mm-hmm. and it's usually because I'll start and I'll be like, yeah, I remember all this. I don't remember the exact words, but I remember what happened. Oh, that's funny. And, and I remember how it made me feel the first time I read it. And there's a, like, I can rewatch movies very easily if they're good movies, mm-hmm. um, because I enjoy that. I enjoy that ride, that roller coaster experience of being on, even if it's like a sad movie or a, a slow, you know, meandering movie. I can't do that with books. It's very difficult. And I think it's because reading requires more energy. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't... The, 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 the number of books that I've read that I can reread is, is fairly small. But this is definitely in that, uh, in that, right. in that space. It is my favorite. Yeah, and, and it, it's, it probably is my favorite because I can reread it. Sure. Um, I could probably reread the Hitchhiker's Guide books because so much happened. In, like the, re- the first one I know more or less front to back. But then like by book four and five, it's like... Oh, a lot of things happen that are so vague to me now. And and I worry that uh, if you asked me detailed questions about what you remember from this book right now, like I would not remember what you remember. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I mean, such is my memory. And, and uh, the weirdness is that I usually don't remember um, endings at all from books. And oh, and yeah. so I can I can really re-enjoy books. I, I will it will come to me as I'm reading the book, but it's not it's not awful. It's not like I remember the ending right from the beginning. So I can actually reread like Raymond Chandler novels that I really enjoyed or Dashiell Hammett books mm. that I really enjoyed. And uh, still kind of somewhere along the line, I'll realize what the ending is, but it doesn't it doesn't haunt me the entire time. So. Uh, you know, the, those mystery books like that, that would drive me crazy because I would be in a situation where it's like, oh no, I remember all of the things leading up to the reveal. And I would probably piece it together by virtue of rereading it. I would be like, oh, right, it has to be this character who was introduced at this point because there's only so many options. Well, I've realized, I've realized uh, my perfect death will be something <laughs> along the lines of, of, like, I will have built a library of maybe 100 books. And in the last year of my life, I, I, will, I will reread those, those books. It seems what? Okay. Well, they'll, they'll mostly be comics. It seems like a small library. They'll mostly be comics. Okay. But, but I mean, well. I, I'm trying to reach for the books I like to reread over and over again. And I, I tend to keep books. Gotcha. I tend to keep books mm-hmm. that uh, I think I'm going to reread. And lately I've been trying to because I've been stuck at home with COVID. And so I'm picking things up and I'm like, wow, I never want to read that again. Like I, I need to just get rid of that. So it's, it's, it's been, it's been very interesting. Well, and when you see my house, you will understand the uh, enormity of the task <laughs> that lays before me. But uh, sure. so, 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 so it's Wizard of Earthsea. What'd you think? Yes. I really enjoyed it. Uh, as someone who... <sighs> no rant today. <laughs> Well, well, I have things that I want to talk about that are, I, you could say nitpicks. Even things that I love, I, I take some issues with. Like, there's almost nothing that I can't uh, tear a little bit apart. Well, I, I want to hear what you loved. I want to uh, hear what you loved about it first. Well, someone who reads a lot of fantasy and enjoys a lot of fantasy media in general, I found this really, th- this really hit a lot of the notes of what I appreciate in good fantasy. I think a lot of authors get obsessed with the idea of world building. And then they and then they build a very dumb world as a result. You know, they spend so much time talking about the socioeconomic uh, trading of the magical minerals and right, how right. do you know how do the elves and the dragons uh, how how are their politics different than the humans and why do the humans do this and that and it's like okay that's all really great for your D and D campaign that does not a good book make right right, right. and it, 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 it's like she focused on the poetry of the of the yeah. overall culture, what kind of ties it together, and then built little but, but, little pockets somehow. Well, but also what's really great about this book is how the world in it is very believable because 
the existence of magic does not negate all of the mundane qualities of the real world, right? Like, this book could take place on Earth. Uh, it could, you know, it could take place in a real archipelago, archipelago however you pronounce that word. <laughs> uh, it could take place in a real one uh, with just the existence of some light magic and now dragons exist. Like, po- poverty still exists. Most people aren't magicians. Most people don't have access to magic. And, the ac- and some people that do, that magic doesn't change their lives drastically right right, right. And, and some of the magic is just crappy magic that they have access to right but it's it's the it's the right. best they know so that's all they can get well and one of the things i love is um i when i was probably i don't know how young i must have been but maybe i was like 15 years old so the harry potter books weren't even done yet but i remember i had this thought experiment i was like wait why does this school for wizards exist in this world because i, I don't mean to compare it too much to harry potter um but like I grew up on that, as as everyone in my generation did. I'm 30 years old now. I'm be 31 in a couple months. Um, we all grew up on Harry Potter. It's a it's fair to say that it's a cultural obsession, which is something that I take issue with, even before J.K. Rowling uh, was outed as a terrible person. Um, but I I really sat and thought about like, but why? So why is there a magical school? What like who is improved by teaching these kids magic, and then they go you know, live on a farm or do office jobs. Like, they don't really use their magic to improve their own station in life. They don't really, they don't have a magical industry based around it. It's kind of pointless. Mm -hmm. In this world, it makes entirely sense. Like, magic is an industry at its core. They talk about that a lot, how the magic is used to make ships better. It's to make crops grow. The... It is practical in this setting. It's not because they want to shoot lasers and fireballs at each other all day. And if they did, that'd be fine. If you told me that, you you know, if you had written a book where uh, magic existed just to further the art of war, I would believe that. Um, But that's not true in a lot of fantasy literature. They don't have that explanation. They just want to play action figures, essentially, right? Right, right. But, but but in this book, in this book, it's like a technology that everybody uses a little bit or they they have some exposure to. Um, and you know, something I wanted to comment on earlier, as you were describing the book, uh, <laughs> it, I, I wanted to be like, if this sounds familiar, it's because it's the hero's journey. But what I appreciate about this hero's journey is that the, the moral of it and the ending of it are really, from a narrative point of view, so satisfactory. That... Oh, I'm so glad you think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I find that... I find... Absolutely. Oh, good. Like, the, the, the problem is not that Ged needs to vanquish, you know the dark lord of the earth sea he does that later as my understanding if uh kind of kind of kind of studio ghibli movie uh is tangling, uh, which I um, watched. don't get me started about that movie oh so bad oh we well i might but i i you know i rewatched it after reading this just because i uh wanted to sort of see how they envision that world again oh, it, it, it's based um, largely on the third book but it's um no right it's, it's not oh, it's 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 so bad in places I I don't know. I like that I liked that movie a lot. I I actually liked it less rewatching it this time. I still think it's a good movie and I'm okay with adaptations that change a lot of the material. Sure, I don't sure. think that is and you know, I think you got to cut them some slack to some extent. Well, not, I wasn't angry about it, but I but I it, it's um it's always a little sad when you love something so much and then you see it kind of you, oh, you, yeah. you see ele- it, el- like core elements of it changed. You know, like like yeah, right. so I'm, you know, they're working on a Sandman adaptation for Netflix, and I'm sure oh. I'm going to be pretty disappointed by it. Like, I, I'm holding out some hope that it'll be good, but I saw the American Gods TV show for Showtime, and that was miserable. I could not stand that. Unwatchable. Oh. Unwatchable. To, yeah, I, I, I'm surprised oh, you... We, we agree. We do agree on that, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it just wasn't any fun. 
And I was like, wow, this is just, this is not entertaining at all. I, I'm not enjoying this. Yeah. I'm sure it was fun for people who like that kind of, that kind of HBO showtime where they, they just enjoy having sex and violence thrown at them because that show succeeded in that regard of just being gratuitous. Uh. And I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. Like I watch Tarantino movies. I, I get it. I get why that's fun. But to me, that was not American Gods. That was like the opposite of American Gods in a lot of ways. Well, but, but, but back to Earthsea. So, so we like that. We like the ending. Yeah. And absolutely right. The I love that Ged is like metaphorically, metaphysically, and literally, he is his own worst enemy. Right. right? The the shadow that he conjures, this monster, is himself. Um, and I think, in fact, I had actually written. Uh, I often am jotting down story ideas to myself for. Uh, comics that I want to make one day and I had written a story that was suspiciously after reading this I was like oh man I stole that idea before even realizing it well, you, 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 <laughs> you can't, you can't, you, you can't have stolen an idea that you came up with on your own you know what I mean I think you should still do it no but well then Ursula Le Guin got to it first and so I can't do it somebody's now. always gotten to the uh, idea first Willow it doesn't matter <laughs> right but also she did it so well that I can't I'm not improving on it well I, I have means, I have so. some of that too so yeah Anyway, but yeah, I think that so often, you know, we are faced with a with a hero protagonist antagonist situation that they don't really they don't really interact in a meaningful way, and I think that this story it's it's very perfectly it's it's wrapped up in a little bow. Mm-hmm. How elegantly, like yes, uh, Ged is this kind of ubermensch. I was describing. I think if this book came out today, I think a lot of people would actually criticize. Our protagonist Sparrowhawk Ged as a Mary Sue because that gets thrown around a lot these days. Uh, I had this conversation with a couple friends, and you know, right? If you read the book, you understand. If you if you have any kind of level of critical thought, you understand that, like, well, no, because he is also his own antagonist. That is his critical flaw, right? Right. right. Um, but at the same time, a lot of the book is people talking to him, being like, "Wow, you're the greatest wizard ever. You're going to be Archmage," which then later becomes true. Uh, you're just, we love you so much, Sparrowhawk. You're so great. You're the best wizard who ever lived. And um, I'm not I'm not saying the book is bad for that, but I am saying that we see that kind of writing in Elsewhere and we don't like it oftentimes, right? Right, right. Well, I, I think there's a criticism too of the way he goes at his life because you can see that somebody like uh, Ogian, his his master on, mm-hmm. uh, on Gaunt, which is where he comes from, uh, his way is basically silence, right? It's just to listen to things, and and that's that's the center of his power, which is very right. very great. You can see um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of Tolkien's philosophy in there too. Not to say that Ursula Le Guin, you know, it, it, not to say that either Tolkien invented or that Ursula Le Guin is ripping it off, but like I see that a lot in The Hobbit. This idea of like maybe we should all just live quiet lives in holes in the ground and eat good food. And, <laughs> have cheer and not go off and do great war like uh but it's kind of you know that that is definitely a part of the hobbit and and to some extent the lord of the rings of like you know what what is best in life are we are we out seeking glory and greatness or are we just going to sort of live mundane little lives and enjoy it and get married and have kids sure sure yeah absolutely yeah yeah and 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 this book is about like little joys that I don't actually enjoy. Like, like th- that's what I that's what I always feel strange <laughs> about. Like this this book is almost a direct criticism of the noisy, media obsessed, just all consuming life that I lead. Um, and yet I love it. L- like I, I, I don't know if that means I'm secretly yearning for that life, or I wish I could live it. I I, I never quite know. Right. Um, but that's in a lot of our fantasy because I mean, all, most of our fantasy is this sort of pastoral 
simpler Edenic existence, right? Mm-hmm. Like, e- even if it is a story about, you know, men and elves and dragons at war, like, because we are throwing back, we, we, we envision this medieval era that is full of beautiful grasslands, you know, Middle Earth, it's full of New Zealand uh, landscapes that a shepherd can go take his flock out for and just enjoy the wind and the rain and the and the smell of the air and like that sounds great in theory um but also i enjoy reading books about it i think if i were there i would hate it <laughs> i i think that it's funny i i in reading this i always notice different things and this time i noticed that um and this is maybe because i haven't traveled in the past year um i noticed that i kind of took my traveling philosophy in my 20s from this book and i did a lot of i did oh, really? a lot of world traveling yeah i would because when i i, I lived <laughs> i lived in taught in korea and then i hit the road for six months and i would go to places like uh thailand and i wouldn't talk to anybody for a week i would just walk around and i just had the best time just being quiet and, and just uh-huh. kind of hanging out and kind of kind of seeing what was to be seen and a lot of that was to avoid being like the noisy tourist but and you also summoned an undead spirit I, I, that hounded you for <laughs> seven years i did not but i did i did uh Everywhere I went, I found that people had abandoned books and there were these little bookshops, like everywhere in Thailand and Taiwan mm-hmm. and uh, Hong Kong. There was always a used bookstore just full of fantasy novels that I could uh, find something to read in, something unexpected. And so I'd buy these dirty, sand-filled books and just sit on a beach and wander through cities and uh, take the buses everywhere. And I had I had a fantastic time. And, but but I hadn't really ever connected that to this book, which I think I read for the first time probably when I was about 17 or 18, which is such a, sure. such a strange time to come to this book for me. But, um, but yeah. Well, what makes you say that? That seems like the, a natural time to come to it. Well, because it, it, it was in the children's section and I wasn't reading young adult literature then. Like I, did, I don't think I really started reading, uh, I mean, why literature didn't really exist when I was a kid as a category, number one. Right. So this was probably in the juvenile section. And um, I probably I probably picked up a paperback of it that was maybe shelved in an adult fantasy section at a at a bookstore somewhere in a mall or at a used bookstore uh, next to her uh, more adult books. And okay. and so I, I just think I think versus the marketing and versus the age. I mean, this was probably like 1988-87. You know, like like how this book was viewed. It was still viewed as a classic, but. I just think it was a very strange book for me to read. The fantasy novels like now were just very thick and, you know, cyberpunk was in and that's what I was reading a lot of. And mm-hmm. somehow I found this book and uh, I think it led me more to fantasy than, uh, than I had been reading previously because I was really like reading like Philip K. Dick and Douglas Adams and, you know, Gaiman wasn't a thing yet. Um, <laughs> although I was reading, I did read, I sure. did read the, uh, the Miracle Man comics he wrote for uh, Marvel way back in the day when they first came out. Oh, yeah. So I always forget about those. Yeah. I think I've read the Alan Moore ones. Uh, he worked on th- They were both so good. They were, they were both so, so something so different. And I probably read those before I read uh, The Dark Knight Returns or uh, Watchmen, which I came to probably five or six years after they were originally published, or Mouse. Like, I, I, I didn't read a lot of underground stuff. So, so the Miracle Man stuff just seemed so strange to me because I hadn't really seen much of what was coming kind of from from England even at that point, other than the stuff that, right. that they were publishing that I didn't know was, was by, by British uh, authors. But yeah, so, so like every time I read this, I feel like it, it makes me reflect on my life or it, it kind of offers me something new. And, and I, don't, um, I don't know how a book does that. It, it's, it's just marvelous to me. So yeah. So uh, yeah. W- but w- w- uh-huh. what, what didn't you like about this book, Willow? Like, like I don't know. I, I see it as kind of a whole. Sure. So, so I'm curious uh, to hear a little a mini rant well, from you. So the first thing that I, I really noticed, so 
I think the pacing of this book is pretty weird. Um, I think it's in line with Ursula Le Guin's other writing style. When I, I mean, like, other books that she has written um, that I took issue with. So I think a lot happens in the first half of this book, and I think almost nothing happens in the second half. Would you say that's accurate? Um... You mean you mean a lot happens until he goes to the wizarding school and then and then does what he does like like leading up to that. Well, I still consider that the first half of the book. I think once I think once he goes out on his quest, uh, I basically after he squares off with the dragon, mm-hmm. it feels like the book kind of grinds to a halt for me. I think I think everything up to that point is really cool. I think the the showdown with the dragon is a great scene, and I was kind of expecting. I I have this problem with a lot of movies and things where it's like. Boy, the second act of this thing really like gave up hard. Yeah, I I, I, I don't um, I don't feel like that in this book. I feel like a lot happens that kind of hints at the broader world here, um, and that that she was kind of setting up what was going to come in at least the next two books, which I think she knew she was probably right. going to write at this time. So, like take t- take I'm, it as part I, of that trilogy. I I don't feel like that, but it's hard for me to separate what happens into just this book. Well, one of my favorite one of my favorite kinds of story is is the Odyssey, the road trip story. Um, if you look at uh, Huckleberry Finn, for example, like every chapter of that book, as you know, as uh, Finn and Finn and Jim are on the river, like a lot of stuff happens, right? They meet a lot of wacky characters and they have a lot of adventures. Um, I'm I'm used to that idea of every chapter something crazy happens. We're gonna we're gonna fight the Cyclops, then we're gonna go to the land of the Lotus Eaters, then we're gonna you know, go to Skill and Charybdis. Uh, and I feel like this book was missing that aspect. Hmm. Hmm. Well, now, I could understand if you're like, well, the text is the text and it's just not there, but you can't deny that that is part of a rich literary tradition, you know, and I feel as if the book kind of sets that up and then doesn't deliver on it. Well, but 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 I think that I think that her writing has always been more natural than that. And, and I feel like, I feel like, um, the chapters, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I feel like the chapters after that that point with the dragon, um, they kind of add a, a veracity, a sense of veracity to the book that, I mean, you, you could tell this in one, you could tell this whole story in, in one chapter, right? In one short story. And it would just be like very, you could. much and, much and, more of a myth, right? And right, it would be a great story. It, <laughs> I would read sure, it. Sure, sure. It, it would be fun. And, um, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be this. And so I think, I think what you would miss with him wandering around trying to figure out what to do and then with him kind of being led astray by by a great power of a different kind and him kind of escaping and going back to visit uh, Ogian and by him deciding to start hunting the shadow instead and by him even even having like kind of misadventures along that that path I, I think I think it would it would miss a great deal for me like there would just be there would be a richness. I'm not saying those scenes shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that that like so he has like three or four encounters with the Gebeth, the shadow yeah. creature, mm-hmm. and it feels like most of them are just kind of the same thing. Like to me, they weren't more things. Could, they could have been like they're at a five. I would like them at a nine. And, and I kind of like them at a five I, somehow. Like um, it, it it works for me because okay. I don't. What I feel like a lot of fantasy novels do is they um, they artificially go toward this peak where everything 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 feels like it's all in it's it's life or death and then it's clearly not because the next thing is more life or death and then the next thing is more life or death and th- this kind of has that structure but but it also feels feels like a little more sedate than that which I think is what you're saying it it just feels like these aren't significant 
things in a certain way. I mean, I mean, they clearly are. They're they're right. significant um, moments. Well, I, I I like the things that do happen. Like um, he goes to the island with the with the pretty lady who we discover it was the little girl that he knew as a child. And I think I think that's a great idea. I just think there should have been more things that happen. Like he kind of gets out of there without it really trying. You know. It, well, well, it, I, it felt it felt as if it's like, well, that happened, and then I left. Yeah, I, I just think I think it's not. I, I think she doesn't fall prey to all the ramped up language. I mean, it, it's it's funny. I think in her later books, she's kind of even let go of of uh, structure. Yeah, I hate that. Yeah. I absolutely hate that. And and I, and I kind of love it because it just feels like she's doing her own thing. It's not that I love every book she ever wrote, but it starts to feel like it starts to feel like she's just throwing off what's expected and is just doing what she wants to do which i think is is the greatest thing about her writing like oh and that's and that's fine but if you're writing an adventure fantasy story like throwing throwing format throwing structure out of the window i feel is really shooting yourself in the foot i i i don't know i i don't i don't think so because i think you can take this whole thing together but i think that if you don't like those parts of this book you're not you're not gonna love the rest of the series as much as i do no i i've heard from my friends who have read all the books that they get super rambly and vague in the later books and i i absolutely cannot and and it gets that way a little bit towards the end of this book where you know when ged confronts the gebeth for the last time it's you know the writing is so vague as to what is actually happening it's like he's walking in darkness it's still on the ocean maybe they're somewhere I, i think i think for uh for everybody who loves her writing and can kind of can kind of take it for take it as she's offering it um it, it it's it's better than anything else for that reason because you, you feel like you feel like she's breaking the rules because she wants to because she really knows what she's doing and you're kind of you're kind of digging in it's that it's that trust you develop for an author you really really like whose work you really like and i i appreciate that i appreciate that you feel that way and that you have a such a positive relationship with it that's all well and good um, well, I remember that. I, I, just I remember that came up when we were talking about uh, the other book, what, "The Left-Handed Darkness." Yes, I could not finish that one. Which I also love to to a great extent, and and it doesn't. It, I think it has it has less of that structure in certain ways. Oh, it has no structure. It is the most rambling sort of nothing happens. Like it, I couldn't. I would hesitate to call it a story, <laughs> right? Because. What what is like we, I I asked you what is the conflict of that of that book and you were like eh right well, well I, I remember I remember we started discussing it from like like a point of view of feminist theory like gender studies theory or like yeah. like like and and I don't think you have to take it from that point of view at all like like what did I what did I say to you that you were like oh well it it certainly sort of invites that level of criticism that level of examination right right you know it is it is about sex and gender being literally fluid uh on in an alien society right where the where the envoy from the ecumen uh is stuck being a dude right but but at the same time it doesn't like it doesn't really do anything with that premise as to the point you know i didn't finish it but i could tell like nothing was happening in this book right and i think i think um i think people come to that book expecting it to say something really profound about gender and it's never it's never right. said that to me it's it's never said much that's profound about gender to me it's it's an example of of dealing with gender in a new way which i think people see as as very um like pro woman somehow which which is fine like, like and, not to take away from that but i just enjoy that book for itself well here's the thing i'm okay with it not saying anything interesting or critical about gender or you know that's that's fine i'm more than happy with that 
but I need it to do something. <laughs> like, is is anything gained or lost by the end of this book? Did we, you know, did we overcome a struggle? Did we learn a lesson? And I'm not convinced that that was going to happen. I think I think it's enough for me that that uh, the envoy whose name I don't want to mispronounce, <laughs> um, that, that, that he, that he tries to experience this culture. Like, like that's enough conflict for me. Like this, this alien culture, he's trying to navigate it and trying to kind of establish, uh, communications with them. And they have the Ansible, right? Which is instantaneous communication faster than the speed right. of light. And he can, he can talk to the people where he came from, but he is, he has essentially given up his entire life and culture. He's traveled, you know, close to the speed of light. He will never see the people he cares about again, and here he is trying to um, trying to connect with these people on this planet Winter, um, who have this who have not only a, a different culture but a, but very different biology from him. And uh, I think that I think that's an interesting idea to some extent. So uh, that the way you describe that uh, it reminds me of a science fiction short story I read as a teenager. I want to say it's called. Uh, one more game or the last game last game wins or something i i'll have to i'll have to get back to you on what it's actually called and who the author is um but it was written i want to say in the 50s it was written before star trek and there's some star trek stuff in it uh but it is about a guy uh who is a spy for earth on an alien planet and he's trying to obtain information about this essentially for earth's military purpose determining the threat level of this planet so he's just masquerading as one of these aliens trying to gain as much information about their culture as possible and it what makes it a great story is that he's like sitting in a park somewhere uh playing chess with random strangers and he keeps winning all of these chess games it's not literally chess it's the alien version of chess um and this guy comes up and plays him and they they have a game and our protagonist our spy he beats this alien and then this alien stands up and we realize that we discover that he's like the bobby fisher of this alien planet and now, and now our spy character is immediately brought into uh, government captivity because they realize he's not one of them. Oh, that's hilarious. And, like, the, well, that story has, like, real stakes to it. Like, the culture, it's not just what is the culture like. We get into what the culture is like because they are very different from our own, for, from any human earthling culture, I would say. That's part of what the book is about. But it's not, it's not meaningless in a void. It has context. They need this information or else Earth is going to be attacked. Like, the, ultimately, the, the story comes to a peaceful resolution. Um, and it's, it's a payoff because we know there are stakes in the story. Okay. Yeah. And so Earthsea is a good example of this. Earthsea could have just been a Wizard of Earthsea. could have just been a book where Ged goes from island to island and eats good food and, you know... Uh, has a couple girlfriends and, you know, doesn't really do anything. But the fact that, like, it does culminate in he overcomes his own inner demon manifested as a literal demon, that makes it about something. That makes it worthwhile. We learned a lesson. That's that's what I want. Well, well and I think and, I think uh, The Left-Handed Darkness has political stakes in it, but, but, but I do think that that's not, like, the most amazing thing about that book, right? There are politics and, you know, the, the envoy has a mission, right? That, that That's beside those politics and there's kind of there's kind of physical danger there and there's also like there's kind of a fraught relationship with with a friend who's maybe more that's that's a little bit emotional and, and but but it's but it's it's just it's just the weirdness i, I think it's enough to see somebody actually trying mm-hmm. to connect with a, a really well-formed alien culture like like for me somehow that's enough conflict yeah i mean i don't want to belabor uh left-handed darkness too much but like i recall the beginning of that book being like oh, did you come here to invade us you strange 
one sex individual <laughs> and and the guy being like well i'm going to explain to you all the reasons why i'm not because your planet is so far away that we couldn't possibly invade if we wanted to and you have no resources worth trading so i'm only here to look at you and report back and it's like right, right. wow like from the beginning you've already cut the cut my sales from the get-go well but, but not, not cut your sales necessarily but like it's it's a very it's a very personal stake you know, it's 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 just so interesting. Is it? I, I think so. I'm not con- I'm not convinced that the quote unquote protagonist of that story really cares that much. Well, I think I think he does, and I think he does because he's given up everything to go there. And it, it's funny because he didn't make a choice knowing what that place was. He made a choice not knowing what that place was, and so yeah, that feels that feels dumb to me. But well, that's fine. well, but but it's it's the chance, right? I mean, like it's a it's a very interesting chance to go off and uh, connect with somewhere that's not um, where you are. And maybe, maybe I connect with this because I made that choice not knowing very much about where I was going in my 20s. You know what I mean? Sure. And uh, I connected with it, and I liked a lot about the places I went, and I didn't like other things. And uh, look, you know... Maybe I just don't like travel, and as a result, (laughs) uh, stories... uh, Well, that's not true, though. I do like stories about travel when they're... Like, if there is a a conflict that needs to be solved. I just like conflict and conflict resolution. I like drama. You like drama. I don't think that's... Yeah, I think that's fair to that's say. That's funny. That's uh, hilarious. I don't react well to character studies, period. Hmm, okay. If, if a character has to overcome a... Tra- you know, and you could argue this is a character drama, mm-hmm. right? Like, it is It is all about Ged, right? Well, I, I feel like I feel like we've uh, talked this as much as we, we can at this point. Do you agree? Uh, that we're just done? I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we've probably reached a natural conclusion point. Okay. Um, um, well, I think, I think at this point we should uh, invite folks to send us their suggestions. I know that if anybody has made it this far into the podcast, uh, it's going to be librarians and book folk who are wondering uh, yeah. what we're going to read next. And we will probably together pick the next book. But uh, in the future, we would love to talk about books that you think Willow would like. And I will parse through that uh, list for things I will, I, I'm, I'm very sure I will like. Um, and so we will talk about something. We'll, we'll, we'll get that Willow rant I've been looking for. Uh, right, but don't don't be afraid to suggest books that you know I'll hate because that's, I, I feel like that's going to be inevitable uh, and also it's going to be more entertaining for Gene. So if you want to hear him laugh that's a true. lot. That's true, that's uh, true. So, so you did, I think you might have done most of the talking this podcast. If you really want to just let me rip, you got to pick something I'm going to hate. <laughs> I will, I will do that for the next book. Uh, but our email address for this podcast is bookstabberpodcast at gmail.com. That's B-O-O-K-S-T-A-B-B-E-R podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also use um, any of my Gene Ambom emails. They are uh, plentiful and numerous. Um, but uh, yeah, please, uh, I don't know, please visit librarycomic.com. I think this podcast will be appearing in the uh in the blog feed for a while. Uh, you can also go to bookstabber.com, uh, which will point you directly at the podcast feeds in the blog uh, with all of the episodes so far. Uh, anything you want to point p- folks at, Willow? Uh, not at this time. Uh, I feel like we need some kind of sign-off, like, this has been Bookstabber, keep stabbing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> keep stabbing. I, I, told someone that, I told someone that our podcast name that we had settled on was Bookstabber, and I was like, you know, like Backstabber, and my friend was just like, and, and you think that's a good thing? Keep on, keep on thrusting. <laughs> no, it can't be that. What could it be? What's our what's our signature sign off? Oh, I don't know. If you, if you have a signature sign off for Bookstabber podcast, let us know. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs>
enjoy enjoy your reading how's that enjoy enjoy what you're reading whatever you're reading thanks for thanks for spending this uh, wherever you're reading hour if, this, if you made it this far uh yeah yeah shoot us an email we're curious we're curious what you thought take care